for our guests. My name's Anton. I'm on the ministry team here. Thank you for reading, Emma-Jane and Sue. Uh, I subscribe to the the Daily Oz on Instagram, which is kind of uh, news for millennials in little bite-sized uh, colourful graphics. And uh, a couple of new, news articles came up, and I want to draw them to your t- attention because I reckon... 99%, 100% of us are going to think the same thing on uh, on these issues. So the first one is, uh, this headline came up, Australia's gender pay gap has hit an all-time low. So the difference between full-time earnings of men and women is at the lowest on record in Australia. Most of us, someone else for a show of hands, I reckon most of us will think, this is a good thing. This is a good thing. But why is it a good thing? What is our view of humanity that says that heading towards this is good? And where did this view come from? Or on another post, there was a discussion about modern-day slavery, particularly in producing fast fashion in sweatshops overseas and the like. And again, I think if we surveyed everyone, we'd basically all agree that the human rights abuses there are bad not a good thing. But what does that say about our view of humanity? Where does this view come from? We're all in agreement, but why? Uh, in our day and age, we mostly think... Oh, go back to that one for a bit. Uh, we mostly think that each human is valuable, that there is intrinsic value to human life, no matter, uh, no matter gender or where people come from or what they earn. But why do we think this? Where does it come from? If we had an evolutionary view of humanity, that humans are just species, one ahead of the last species that, uh, that had, had come, then what we should value is survival of the fittest. And it's probably not worth valuing the lives of those in the sweatshops because they're obviously not the fittest of the world, if we were consistent to that view. Or if we had an economic view of humanity, then uh, what we should value most about humanity is our production, who is most productive. And so it shouldn't matter what the gender pay gap is as long as uh, what the market decides who's more valuable. Now, there might be elements of that thinking in our uh, communal thought, but most of us have a different view of humanity than those two, most of the time. We want to believe that every human is precious, not just the fittest, not just the most productive. Every life is worth saving. Everyone should be valued. But why should we think like that? You know, if we look at the world around us, human rights and the value of each human being, it's taken as a given. It's just assumed. We should care about the welfare of Indigenous Australians. We should protect children from abuse. The rich are no more important than the poor. Even Barbie declares that Ken is Kenuff. He is enough on his own. But why? Why is Ken valuable? You know, that's just a statement that's made. Our secular world finds it hard to articulate why. Why is each human valuable? Well, our second topic on our humanity series 
is humanity dignified. Humanity dignified. Because the Bible gives us the grounding of our uniqueness, our specialness as humankind. So let's turn to Scripture now to see that humanity is made in the image of God himself. So flick back to page 2 if you've got a church Bible, Genesis chapter 1. Don't forget there's... uh, Q&A, the first uh, Q&A video is up on YouTube. Uh, If you've got any questions from today's talk as well, feel free to send me a message or there's a form on uh, through the newsletter. But firstly, we see that humankind is made in the image of God. Uh, If you look down at your Bibles at the first creation account, Genesis 1, you see that God made all different parts of the universe, didn't he? He said, light... Sky, land, seas, animal, plants. Uh, John Locke, who is up too early. Sorry, I'll go back to that. Uh, he made he made all the things. But what makes humans so unique? What makes humans exceptional from the rest of creation? We saw last week that we were created, so we, in some ways, we're just like the rest of creation. We're under God's dominion. But there's a certain uniqueness in the way that we made. What is that? Well, let's have a think about it ourselves. Uh, what, uh, what would it be? What makes humankind exceptional from the rest of creation? Uh, let's, have a, let's make it practical. Can someone yell out an animal? Any animal? A zebra. Good choice. What makes humankind different from a zebra? Stripes. Stripes. Yeah, good. <laughs> Why are we more exceptional, though? Well... Though that type of question is uh, has been pondered over through the generations, and many philosophers have uh, thought through this question, uh, John Locke thought it's the human understanding. It's that we can comprehend ourselves, we can comprehend our world. That's what makes us exceptional, better than a zebra. Or Jean-Jacques Rousseau thought our free agency, that is, we have a will to decide things rationally, The zebra just acts on instinct. That's what makes us exceptional, according to Rousseau. Adam Smith, ever the economist, says the division of labor is what makes us uh, exceptional. We can share tasks among us to produce something greater than we could do with just one of us. It's what we produce is what matters. Or John Stuart Mill says uh, it's our sympathy that makes us exceptional our ability to care for those outside our own immediate family. Humans, all these, uh, no matter which uh, philosophy you go with, that happy bunch, uh, it's humans have some sort of uh, unique talent or some ability. That's what makes us special, according to these guys. But the God who made us gives us a different answer of why humankind is unique. While God made the birds, the livestock, the zebras, the fish, only humankind is made in God's image. So have a look down in your Bible, verse 26, Genesis 1. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. 
In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. God made humankind unique amongst all of creation. Why? Because we image him. We image God. That is, we are like God in some sense. We're not God completely, but we image him in some... We are God's image bearers in creation. Anthony Hokima puts it like this. When one looks at a human being, one ought to see him or her as a certain reflection of God. Man then was created in God's image so that he or she might represent God like an ambassador from a foreign country. So we're not the king, but we represent the king to our world. We are, we have this God-like position on earth. We are to be to the natural world as God is to us. You know, like a toddler plays with, uh, plays with, um, uh, a, a baby plays, and you know, she pretends to be the mum to a to a doll, reflecting how her real mum uh, parents her. Humans oversee the earth, as God oversees all creation, and that's why God gives us the task, as humanity, to fill the earth and subdue it, to rule over the creatures, just as God rules over us. I love this quote. We need to view the imago Deo, that is the image of God. We need to view it as a declaration that God intended to create human persons to be the physical means through which he would manifest his own divine presence in the world. So the world sees God through us. What a mighty dignity God has given us. And this dignity of being in the image of God is given in the context of covenant relationships. We're not just to do this on our own. We're to do this in relationship. And so have a look look closely at verse 26. See if you can work out how we image God here. There's a clue in God himself. See how God describes himself? He says, let us make us uh, let us make, uh, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. See, God uses the plural from him, for himself. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. And that gives us a hint to how we image God. Because God at his core is a relationship between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The three persons of the Trinity relate to each other in perfect unity. And so God is a relationship within himself. And so part of the way we image God is through relationships. Just like God is relational within himself, we operate in covenant relationships. God has made us in a web of relationships. And so we image God as we relate rightly to other things. So firstly, we relate to, we relate to God. There's our relationship with God. And through Genesis, we see God talking to Adam, conversing with him. 
And as we saw last week, all of humanity is in a relationship of dependence on God. He is our maker, so we depend on him. He is our sustainer, so we must be thankful for his provision. And uh, as we saw in in, uh, Genesis 2, God instructs us to... um, uh, as we, uh, sorry, I, I was. Let me read to you from Genesis chapter two. If you're in Genesis chapter one, go to the next chapter, chapter two, verse sixteen. The Lord commanded the man, "You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat, eat it, you'll surely die." So God gives us instructions, and so we are to be obedient to Him. And so our relationship with God is one of thankful, dependent obedience. So we were in relationship with God. That's how he made us. He made us. But we're not just in relationship with God. God made us to relate to one another. God said that he made male and female together as the image of God. So men alone are not in the image of God. Women alone are not in the image of God. But humanity in its gendered state is made in the image of God. We'll see more of how that works in a couple uh, couple of weeks' time. But it goes beyond male and female, just one-on-one relationships. Each of us are not to be an isolated being who's complete in itself. We are to be directed towards others. We are to relate to one another in love, in other-person-centeredness. We relate to God in dependence, but we relate to one another in love. And finally... The last relationship is that of to the created world. Uh, we saw earlier that we're to have dominion over this world, but jump back to verse uh, to chapter one with me, uh, one twenty nine. Then God said, "I will give you every seed bearing plant on the face of the whole earth, and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food." How kind of God! God doesn't just want us to rule over the world. He wants us to enjoy it, to be sustained by it. And so we are to relate to our world in dominion and enjoyment. We image God as we enjoy and rule over the world, just as God finds delight as he rules over the whole universe. And so this is what it means to be in the image of God. It's to be made in this web of relationships, rightly relating to God, to each other, and to our world. And so why is humankind exceptional amongst all that God has made? Why is each man and woman to be treasured? Not because of some talent or ability within us, but because this is who God made us to be. Human uniqueness is given to us. Our value comes not from ourselves, but from the one who made us. And this should have a profound impact to how we treat one another. We're just going to zoom into one of those relationships today. Uh, Have a look at what James says about being in the image of God. James chapter 3 says, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. 
What's wrong with cursing one another? What's so bad if we speak badly to others or gossip about them? The Bible says you're forgetting that they were made in God's likeness. You're treating them as less than human, less than in the image of God human. How can you praise God and yet curse God's image? And so when we speak badly of someone, you're putting down someone whom God has, uh, has exalted as, he, as in the image of God. So maybe this week, as you uh, deal with people, maybe your first short thought should be, they are made in the image of God. They are made in the image of God. Imagine the difference that will make in your next client meeting, particularly the annoying ones. If you remind yourself, they are made in the image of God. How will that change how you deal with them? I wonder if that will make a difference to the approach you take to other drivers on the road. Remember, they are made in the image of God. How might you treat shop assistants or the person working at the front desk at the office? How might you treat them differently, remembering that they are made in the image of God? This is how Jesus can call us to love our enemies because they are made by God in his image. Whenever you deal with people this week, think, They are made in the image of God. Because when you see humanity as in the image of God, we now have that stable foundation for value, for worth of our fellow human beings. If you don't have this foundation, then you can drift into thinking of humans as valuable for other reasons, like their productivity or their intellect or their race or their usefulness which particularly leaves those on the fringe as vulnerable. So a newborn child is mighty unproductive and she makes everyone around her mighty unproductive as well. (laughs) But she is made in God's image. Or the man who is mentally disabled, whose intellect is impeded, he is made in the image of God. To the depressed, if your every thought is thinking that you are a waste of space, you are made in the image of God. To the elderly, as your usefulness diminishes, you are made in the image of God. I'm so looking forward to my uh, compassion trip that uh, is coming up in November, so as part of our partnership with Compassion. Uh, They're organizing a trip for pastors to go and to see the work that they do helping underprivileged children. And uh, so I'll be off to the Philippines to look at at that work. And I'm half Filipino and my father took me uh, back to the Philippines quite a few times growing up. And uh, we were, you know, middle class family. As you drive through the traffic, as you crawl through the Filipino Manila traffic, uh, you see people walking in between the lines of cars trying to sell things. Uh, often young people selling lollies or cigarettes or whatever. 
And as I was brought up, I was told if they come to your window, just to, just to tap on the window to say, no, we're not interested. Uh, because, you know, if you, if you give to one, then they swarm to your car. I'm really looking forward to, on this compassion trip, walking alongside those people, seeing how they're being cared for, seeing how they relate to one another, how they live their lives, because they are made in the image of God as well. Christopher Watkins says, the image of God is given to humanity by God, not something that humanity performs. This truth has seismic consequences because if the image of God is something earned, then it can also be lost or never achieved in the first place. And it may be earned by, wrong by, wrong, earned by some and not others. This gift nature of the image of God provides a powerful basis for human dignity, equality, and human rights. That's where we get those values from. From our Christian heritage as a society. And so as Christians, we must see this value in people and uphold this value in others, even if they can't see it in themselves. So I think that means we should mourn our current uh, new euthanasia laws in New South Wales. I see what they're trying to do. They're trying to protect people's quality of life. But what that means is they're not protecting life itself. It's saying once your quality of life is too low, then it's time to move on. There's a way out. And if you read what's happening in places like Belgium or the Netherlands or Canada, which is further along than us, then you see people who are being euthanized just for feeling like they've got nothing left to live for to someone who's going deaf and doesn't want to deal with it or someone with such mental suffering from previous abuse wants to end their life or it's leading to the elderly in those countries having to consider euthanasia or feel like they ought to do it because they feel like they're a burden on the rest of their family. At that point, you've lost the preciousness of life. Not just in your productivity, not just in your ability, but that you're in the image of God. And we need to take it back to the very start of life as well. As from conception all the way through, we are in this matrix of relationships. And so, you know, touching on abortion is can be very painful for some, even though we find complete forgiveness in Christ. And I'm sure most abortions are decided with great sadness and angst. And a decision to keep a child can just seem too hard And so as a church, we need to be willing to welcome such children into our church family. But a new human life is made in the image of God and should be valued above the lifestyle that he or she will interrupt. We are all made in God's image, in God's likeness.
But in the Bible, it doesn't take long for those made in the image of God to reject and damage what God has given. And in fact, Genesis 3, the story of the fall, you know, that wonderful matrix that we, uh, that is part of how we're in the image of God. This gets completely shattered, turned on its head as humanity disobeys God. So as humanity, we're meant to, to uh, have dominion over and enjoy creation. What does creation do in the, in the story of the fall? Well, the snake comes and he rules over humanity as he tempts humanity to eat the forbidden fruit. And so instead of us ruling over creation, it rules over us. And we decide to worship it with idolatry. We decide to abuse it with all the environmental disaster that we have. And there's enmity now between the man and the woman, between people. After they ate the fruit, they blamed one another. They felt shame towards each other. And of course, there's rejection of God. We choose autonomy over dependence, rebellion over obedience. So it's very hard to see sometimes how we are God's ambassadors because of all the problems that we've caused from rejecting God's goodwill of relationships. But let me leave you because with this, we heard Colossians 1. We heard Colossians 1. And Colossians 1 started with this. The Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. We are made in the image of God. The Son is the image of God. He is the exact representation of God's being. He is the one who manifests God's divine presence in this world. And we see Jesus rightly relating in dependence, in thankful dependence on God, in love to his fellow uh, human beings, and in dominion over this world. And so if we are to look for what true humanity is, we look to Jesus. We look to Jesus. Uh, this quote from Philip Hughes says this, If we wish to know what true uh, manhood is, that's humankind, we must fix our attention on Jesus, in whom we see the love of God, and a man faultlessly displayed, and the fulfillment of the inherent potential of our humanity as formed in the image of God. He is exactly how God has made us to be. Jesus is the image of God. And so not only is he our saviour and our redeemer, he is also what true humanity looks like. He not only redeems us from that mess of broken relationships, but the more you see Jesus, the more you become like him, that is the real you. And so, if we have been made in the image of God, and if we have Jesus as the image, then we are to grow to be more like him. Romans 8 to finish. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. That he, the Son, might be firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And so as we have been made in the image of God, 
we are now to grow in that image by being conformed to the image, God's Son, Jesus. Amen.